1: Constant Contact, a digital marketing platform that helps small businesses and nonprofits of all sizes build, grow, and succeed. With email marketing, contact management, industry-leading list growth tools, social media ads, and more, Constant Contact helps small businesses connect with customers, find new ones, and sell online, all from one easy-to-use platform. They've been trusted by millions of businesses to help improve their marketing. With a 97% deliverability rate, you can rest assured that your customers and potential customers are getting the right message at the right time. With a simple interface, Constant Contact's easy-to-use platform makes contact management easier than ever. Their list growth tools help you find a bigger audience fast. Lead generation landing pages, text to join, and social media ads are proven to grow your list and drive engagement with your brand. With thousands of integrations, you can sync Constant Contact's tools with the tools you're already using. Powerful automation tools help you send the right message to the right person at the right time, every time. To start your free digital marketing trial today, visit ConstantContact.com. Com.
2: Rafi is the voice of some of the happiest songs of our generation.
1: Baby beluga
2: So who is the man behind Baby Beluga? Every human being wants to feel respected. When we start with young children, all good things can grow from there. I'm Chris Garcia, comedian, new dad, and host of Finding Rafi, a new podcast from iHeartRadio and Fatherly. Listen every Tuesday on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: R. Kelly has been convicted of racketeering and sex trafficking and now faces decades in prison. Will Smith revealed why he's refused to act in movies about slavery. And we're talking with film and culture critic Kate Young about revisiting the Monica Lewinsky scandal in Impeachment American Crime Story. It's September 28th, 2021. Hey, friends, I'm Casey Rackham and I'm Shiloh Watson. Welcome to BuzzFeed Daily. So, Shiloh, we're going to start off with something that is long overdue, and it's really big news that broke last night. After decades of allegations of sexual crimes, R. Kelly has finally been convicted. A New York federal court has found Kelly guilty of every count of racketeering and sex trafficking that he had been charged with. 11 different victims testified during the case, accusing Kelly of grooming and exploiting young women and men for quote, his own sexual gratification and running a quote, sex cult by trafficking people across state lines. R. Kelly faces a mandatory minimum sentencing of 10 years, but could receive up to life in prison. Civil rights attorney Gloria Allred represented three of the victims who testified. And here's a clip of her at a press conference she held after the conviction. I have pursued many sexual predators who have committed crimes against women and children of all the predators that i have pursued however mr kelly is the worst i mean that is quite
3: a statement wow yeah that's that's really saying something like that's how you know how bad it is like obviously some victims have come forward with their accounts and but like we weren't in the courtroom so we don't know all what was said so for her to come out and say this With, like she said, her decades of championing for victims,
0: like, that is really something. And I mean, Shila, I mean, how how young were we the first time we heard rumors of R. Kelly and the horrible things he's done? I mean, this is so long overdue, but I mean, thankfully there is justice because you know what? We've seen so many times where people who need to take severe accountability for their actions receive no sort of punishment, you know, and they get away with their crimes. And so for decades. decades, Yeah. So this this is a big deal. Yeah, I really um, I don't want
3: to say, like, I like this, but I appreciate the fact that there is a minimum sentence. I feel like that's something else we just don't typically see. So regardless of if he ever gets life in prison or not, he will be held accountable to some extent.
0: hmm mm-hmm.
3: All right. So moving on, in a new interview with GQ, Will Smith opened up about why he's never acted in a film about slavery. Smith said, quote, in the early part of my career, I didn't want to show Black people in that light. I wanted to be a superhero. So I wanted to depict Black excellence alongside my white counterparts. Smith opened up about his perspective on the set of the new Apple Plus film Emancipation, which is based on the true story of a slave who escaped the Confederacy in 1863 and joined Lincoln's army. But Smith believes this is more than just a slave movie, saying, quote, this was one that was about love and the power of Black love, and that was something that I could rock with. We were going to make a story about how Black love makes us invincible. Um, So first of all, when he said superhero, I was like, he did that. Um, He was in Hancock, which I know people have feelings about that movie, but I really liked it.
0: That's your first (laughs) Um, one where you say super. Okay, okay, continue. (laughs) (laughs)
3: Um, But then also, like, I really like that he took a stance. I feel like... So many people either in his position or like new to the industry wouldn't and they would just do whatever role that they could. But for him to say like to draw a line and say, I'm not doing these types of movies and I'm not doing it for these reasons. I I, I love that he was able to do that.
0: And I also think that when we are talking about any community that is underrepresented in Hollywood, which is any community that's not white, <laughs> let's be clear, straight and white your content isn't going to be for everyone because everyone has different opinions of what they want to see because they deserve to see all those things. So I just think it's really cool like that Will Smith can say the one sector he wants to do because he doesn't need to do every sector of black films in Hollywood or every black role. You know, it's like he wants to concentrate on black joy, being a black superhero. He gets to choose. And I think that's great. Agreed. All right, moving on, Ryan Murphy's impeachment American crime story was supposed to flip the script of the biggest political scandal of the 90s, but critics are saying that perhaps it's missed the mark. Bitch Media's film and culture critic Kate Young joins us today to talk about what the series gets right and wrong about the Clinton-Lewinsky affair and how it ultimately fails the women at the center of the narrative. Hi, Kate. Thanks so much for joining us today.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: So right now, only three episodes of Impeachment have aired, but you've watched the first seven. Without going into too much detail, can you give us an overall impression of what you've seen so
2: far? Well, my general impression based on what I've seen and according to essentially what I had put into my Bitch Media review is that the show doesn't really seem to care for these women, which is interesting to me because it is billed as a retelling of the story from their perspective. And so it's frustrating and interesting to me to recognize that they have essentially taken the most cynical approach to retelling the story, which is to cast these women, yes, as players in the story, but as ambitious women who are working towards their own gain without any real sense of moral clarity. And to me, that is simply just not the correct take on the story.
3: Right. You know, the series was really supposed to flip the narrative we've seen in the past by telling it from the perspective of the women involved. Monica Lewinsky is even a producer on the show. In your piece, you say that the series seems to think very little of these women. So why is that? I don't think that it's intentional. I think that it's a,
2: a bit of a misfired Girl boss perspective, in the sense that we are trying to give women agency by making them essentially like men. And I think that in this case, and because of the subject matter, it doesn't work because we are essentially turning the female characters in the story into self-serving political animals in the way that we have been criticizing men for being in the same way. And I think that while men's behavior in these scenarios has been poor... We don't want to replicate those behaviors. You want to eliminate them. And putting women in those same positions does not actually bring us any closer to progress.
3: So that being said, what, if any, redeeming qualities does the
2: show have in its treatment of these women? Or, I mean, even just in general? Um, In terms of their treatment, I am not sure that there are very many. But I think that the thing that the show really does get right is demonstrating just the sheer weight of attention and ridicule and critique that comes down on Monica once this story goes wide and also in demonstrating just how much power bill Clinton had in that scenario and how much of it he was willing to use to his own advantage once it became clear that the affair that he had had with this intern was going to become something that would threaten his political ambition. I think in the later episodes we really get to see what his strategy is for maintaining the scandal and for defending himself against it while in the midst of this Paula Jones lawsuit and how he very immediately decides to protect himself at the expense of someone whose affection he has been actively courting and despite the fact that none of this would have happened had it not been for his own involvement there is no point at which Monica could have done what she did or Become as taken with him as she did without his encouragement, without his involvement. And instead of acknowledging that and admitting fault and simply just saying, I, I, I had a moment of weakness, we had an affair. He ends up throws her under the bus and paints her as this lunatic woman who had to be removed for her own good because she was a danger to herself and to the White House. And to me, I think that is the most damning part of the story in that. It demonstrates for me that he had always known that his behavior was a problem and that in the circumstance of having that come to light, he was immediately ready to protect himself and had very little regard for the impact that his actions would take on her because once it became a threat to himself and to his own political legacy, she no longer mattered. All
0: right, well, we'll be right back with Kate Young to talk more about impeachment American crime story.
2: From Cavalry Audio comes the new true crime podcast, The Shadow Girls. I always wanted to know what it felt
1: like to kill somebody. he started laughing. Prosecutors described him as a serial killer savant. Picking up these girls, getting them in a position of vulnerability, when he got a hold of their neck, that was it.
2: I'm Carolyn Osorio, a journalist and lifelong resident of the Pacific Northwest. I grew up near the banks of the Green River and in the shadow of the killer, that bears its name.
1: How many times did you bring the camera to One the river? time. Just one time? One time. He started fantasizing about having sex with his mother. Then he fantasized about killing her.
2: But this podcast isn't only about tracking down the killer. It's about the victims. We stayed in the woods. He always liked to go in the woods. He was just, to all of us, kind of strange you know how he feels about prostitutes? Listen to The Shadow Girls on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: You actually don't.
0: Welcome back. We're talking with film and culture critic Kate Young about impeachment American crime story. So, Kate, it definitely seems safe to say that Linda Tripp is one of the show's main villains. Do you think this is fair to the real Linda Tripp, especially considering she passed away in 2020 and is unable to give any feedback or defend herself?
2: I don't know that fair is the right word to use in this particular circumstance, only because I think that the actions that are depicted of hers in this show are accurate i think when it comes to the letter of what she did i think where this show goes off track a bit is by twisting the spirit of what she did to fit a tidier narrative And I think that the truth is simply that it was a messy decision that she made and it had difficult consequences for the people involved. And she was not a perfect whistleblower. She was not a perfect person. Her animosity towards the Clinton was well documented. But it doesn't change the fact that she was right about the nature of this relationship. She was right that it needed to be reported. She was right that Lewinsky was being taken advantage of by a powerful man who did not care for her or care about her and would not have looked out for her. But the issue that I have with this show is that it twists her genuine motives into her less flattering ones and uses the less flattering ones as evidence against the genuine ones. And to me that is frustrating because it it attempts to shape the story in a very clear-cut black and white way when the the truth of the matter is simply that she she did the right thing in the wrong way and harmed a lot of people but it doesn't mean that her actions were inherently bad if it were me I would have taken the time to convince Monica to come forward on her own but it doesn't change the fact that eventually this did need to come out And if she had been able to give Monica more agency in that decision, things may not have been as bad as they were. But instead, she opened her up to this scrutiny that she has never been able to escape. And I can't sit here and pretend like, oh, well, it's fine because he was a bad man and it had to happen. Like Monica became collateral damage in her own abuse. And that isn't acceptable. And I can understand why people see her as a villain for that.
0: You know, I want to talk a little bit about uh, Sarah Paulson's portrayal of her. You know, in your piece, you talk about how Sarah Paulson's performance really cements Linda Tripp's villain status. As you pointed out, Sarah defended her decision to wear a fat suit and prosthetics, saying she felt she was, quote, right for the part. Do you think this sort of negative portrayal was intentional, or did she really try to do the role justice and just miss the mark?
2: I don't think that the negative portrayal was intentional. I think that she feels that the portrayal that we got was the truth of the character. I think that she feels as though she neutrally approached Linda Tripp and her legacy, and that if it happened to fall negatively, then that is simply the truth of the story. I disagree with that, but I also think that it is understandable to me that she would in digging through the motivations of the story, presumably without access to Linda herself, because I believe she died during production of the show. But that is where she would come to the story. That is and has been the predominant narrative about Linda Tripp for the last two decades. And the show makes no secret of her less flattering qualities She was quite a presence and did not make herself available or friendly to many people. And I think that that fact is taken as an indication of her moral persuasion in a way that is perhaps not quite as encompassing of her as a person as we would like to pretend it was. And the nature of television is that we, we we pick and choose the details that we present in order to give an audience a tidy narrative. And I think that the tidiest narrative here is that Luna Tripp was a villain. It's just not the right one.
3: So exactly. And I feel like a lot of people would argue that the true villain of the show should be Bill Clinton. So would you say that the series actually takes him to task at all? Or does it kind of neglect the severity of his role and everything in favor of focusing on the women's stories?
2: I don't know that I would say that it neglects the severity. I think that giving a stage to the woman, it does not leave very much room to investigate or interrogate Bill Clinton's actions. There is one episode later in the series that really gets to his shenanigans, I guess, and the way in which he approaches that in terms of closing ranks with the people around him. And I think that makes it very clear that he is in fact an antagonist in this story. But it's one episode out of 10. We've spent much more time with Monica and Linda. We are much more intimately familiar with their relationships to this story and to this affair. And I don't know that one episode was enough to really get to the root of the fact that all of this could have been avoided if the president of the United States has had would have kept his dick in his pants. And I don't know that what the show is able to give us accurately depicts just how overwhelming that power is on his end and how different the power imbalance is between the two of them. I haven't seen the remaining three episodes, so I don't know if that will change closer to the end of the season, but I came away feeling that I disliked Bill Clinton as a person and as a character, but I also felt that In the end, it didn't matter because we know how the rest of history played out. He remained president. To my knowledge, he's never really had to own up to this or suffer any real consequences. And Monica Lewinsky has had to essentially live in hiding for the last 20 years. So it does not feel satisfying. And I do not expect for the show to give us a satisfying ending because it is obviously based on a true story and that's what happened. But I don't know that it really hammered home that... Much of this happened because of the choices that he made and the aftermath of those choices.
0: You know, I mean, you basically touched on this the entire interview, but how do you think the series could have better served the people
2: it was portraying? Honestly, I don't know, because I feel as though this is a story that is it is so well known. It is so embedded in the osmosis of American pop culture. It is so Well hashed over that, it feels futile to try to reshape the narrative, as it were. And it's also something that's within the living memory of the people who are likely watching it. And I think that it's such a polarizing story that it's it's unlikely to have like changed anyone's mind, right? But I do think that it it could have done a better job at actually humanizing these women, at actually internalizing and interrogating their feelings. I feel what frustrates me most about the literature portrayal is that I do not feel that I ever really got a sense of her own sense of integrity or where her own morals and values lay. I got who she worked against and who she worked for and why, but I never got the sense past, I believe, a couple moments in one of the episodes that she was really struggling with this decision or that she had explored alternate remedies, that she was truly trying to figure out how the best way to handle what she knew would be a national scandal in the best way possible and with the least amount of blowback. Instead, we just see her cynically calling up people, trying to schedule things, trying to entrap her best friend. And there's no time given to her own reflections on that experience and whether or not she regretted the decision in any real way.
3: So, after revisiting the story through the series, do you feel like the audience will gain a new perspective or better understanding of what really happened? Like I was two when this all happened. So I really like don't know the details. So when I watch the show, will I get an accurate portrayal of what happened? Or do you ultimately feel like this is just another attempt at capitalizing on what has already been as like sensationalized scandal?
2: I think- little bit of both. For me personally, I think the Slowburn Burn podcast is probably a better place to start. But in terms of the political climate and dynamics of that time, that is one thing that I think the show gets right. I think that it accurately demonstrates where loyalties were at the time, what the political impetus and political will was at the time, and what the motivations were, generally speaking, for pursuing charges against Bill Clinton, and why Lewinsky's involvement with him became so important because there's a scene in one of the episodes in which the a journalist from, I believe, the Washington Post essentially says, "This isn't really a case because this was a consensual affair. He didn't rape her. He didn't assault her. He didn't lock her in a bathroom anyway. She willingly participated in this, and so this is not this is not a story. This isn't misconduct." And it's Linda who has to say, "She's 22." <laughs> There is no way in which this relationship is happening on equal footing. And I think that post-Me Too, that's something that we can understand with much more clarity. But it makes sense to me how, at that time, this was something that felt appropriate to joke about or mock her about. Because as far as they're concerned, she is just a woman who got caught with her pants down, as opposed to a young woman fresh out of college who's being taken advantage of by the most powerful man in the world. Well, Kate, seriously, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. I'm glad you had me.
0: All right. That's it for today. Come back and join us tomorrow. And remember, let's make more stories about how black love makes us invincible. Yes, please. Be sure to subscribe to BuzzFeed daily on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you go for your sound stories. And please take the time to leave us a rating and a review. It helps us figure out what you like about the show
3: versus what you love about the show. And remember to come back for more of what you love about BuzzFeed coming to you daily.
2: Look through your children's eyes, and you will discover the true magic of a forest.
1: Find a forest near you, and start exploring at discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. Hi, I'm Robert Sex Reese, host of the Dr. Sex Reese Show. And every episode, I listen to people talk about their sex and intimacy issues, and yes, I despise every minute of it. Yeah. I mean, she, she made mistakes, too.
2: Right? That's I mean, true. She, she did she, kill everyone at her wedding.
1: But hell is real. We're all trapped here, and there's nothing any of us can do about it. So join me, won't you? Listen to the Doctor's Sex Re Show every Tuesday on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Hey, Lethal listeners, Tig here. Last season on Lethal Lit, you might remember I came to Hollow Falls on a mission, clearing my Aunt Beth's name and making sure justice was finally served but I hadn't counted on a rash of new murders tearing apart the town. My mission put myself and my friends in danger, though it wasn't all bad. I'm
3: gonna be real with you, Tig.
0: I like you. But now, all signs point to a new serial killer in Hollow Falls. If this game is just starting, you better believe I'm gonna win. I'm Tig Torres, and this is Lethal Lit. Catch up on Season 1 of the hit murder mystery podcast, Lethal Lit, a Tig Torres mystery, out now. And then tune in for all new thrills in Season 2, dropping weekly starting February 9th. Subscribe now to never miss an episode. Listen to Lethal Lit on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.